13 through the rest of the chapter uh, Sunday. And so we're just going to look at uh, verses 1 through 13, slightly out of order, but for those of you that have been coming, it's not probably too crazy for you. Um, Verse 1 starts out, For this reason I, Paul, the prisoner of Christ Jesus for you Gentiles. Um, You know, he starts out saying, for this reason I, Paul. And then he kind of interrupts himself and expounds and and doesn't continue his thought until verse 14. So I know exactly how that is, where you kind of hop on a little rabbit trail there. And, and he does that, and that's what we studied on Sunday was that uh, for this reason I bow my knee, um, and he prays basically for the Ephesians. And, uh, and so for this reason, and we just would do well to just see context leading up to this verse, uh, where Paul in chapter 1 has told us that uh, we've been given every spiritual blessing in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. Uh, he's taught us about just the, the predestining of God the Father uh, for the saints, uh, that we're called, that we're elected, that we're adopted, that we're saved in chapter 2 from sin and trespasses and out of separation and alienation from him, saved by grace, uh, that we're saved for good works. Last Wednesday night, we looked at verse 10 of chapter 2, that we're uh, we've actually, in his sovereignty, he's prepared good works for us to walk in um, before, beforehand, before the foundation of the world, and how encouraging that is in our uh, living out life, uh, that he's already just got the works lined out. Now he's just needing faithful people uh, to walk in those. And, um, and so just for, for so many wonderful uh, reasons, he's going to bow his knee Uh, and pray just a prayer of realization for us in verses 14 through the rest of the chapter, and uh, that we would understand and comprehend with the saints the the depth and width and height and length and breadth of the love of Christ. And so looked at all that, looked at that continuing of the thought on Sunday. Uh, But he says, for this reason, I, Paul, the prisoner of Christ Jesus. Oh, thank you, that might help wake us up a little bit kind of hard to come to church when it's pitch black you feel like it's midnight or something you're like is my clock wrong um you know how that is so that's very helpful thank you guys um but paul is a prisoner as he writes this kind of interesting to uh to read a letter knowing that paul was um in chains for the gospel or very at the very least under house arrest uh for the gospel in chapter four verse one he writes that uh I'm a prisoner of the Lord. In chapter 6, verse 20, he says, I'm an ambassador in chains. And so so he says that he's a prisoner, but notice who he says he's a prisoner of. You know, uh, it says he's a prisoner of Christ Jesus. Now, humanly speaking, he was a prisoner of Caesar Nero. Uh, But as we're kind of getting the sovereignty of God and even all of our sufferings, uh, he realizes that he's actually in chains for Jesus and because of Jesus. And God is actually working something out through his chains. And we'll look at that in a second when we reference um, another epistle written in this time to the Philippians. 
But we see that it was written, that he was imprisoned, uh, rather, a prisoner of Christ Jesus, but for the Gentiles. Isn't that interesting? Just how specific he is in his imprisonments of Jesus, and I'm imprisoned for the Gentiles. And you'd think he would, you know, throw something out there, maybe even a little bitter, like, oh, I'm in prison for opening my mouth up, and I preached in a post office and got arrested, or I was. You know, I had a captive audience that couldn't get out of line. I remember watching a video of a, even a Calvary Chapel pastor um, preaching outside of a post office to a captive audience and was arrested um, for that. And his tact wasn't exactly intact as he did it. So um, I think a night in jail might have, okay, anyways. Um, <laughs> these things get recorded. So I should probably, uh, but, you know, we would say like, oh, I'm, I'm in prison for opening my mouth about this or this or this. And he says, it's for you that I'm in prison. There's like these purposes behind it. And if you look at Acts 22, when Paul was in Jerusalem and he was, um, you know, he was observing a vow. He was trying to be a testimony to the Jews and he got arrested in the, in the temple. You guys know the story. He finally gets a chance to uh, speak to a mob. They quiet down for a minute as he's on a staircase being led out by the Romans. And he tells his testimony to the Jews there in the temple. And in his testimony, he says in Acts twenty-two seventeen, Now it happened when I returned to Jerusalem and was praying in the temple, I was in a trance. And I saw him saying to me, Make haste, get out of Jerusalem quickly, for they will not receive your testimony concerning me. And so I said, Lord, they know that in every synagogue I imprisoned and beat those who believe on you. When the blood of your martyr Stephen was shed, I was standing consenting to his death, guarding the clothes of those who were killing him, essentially giving the green light to Stephen's martyrdom. And then Jesus said to me, depart, for I will send you far from here to the Gentiles. So just picture Paul, you know, um, there had been a mob, they were about to tear him apart. And the Romans came in and pulled him out from the mob and they began leading him out of the temple. And as they're going up a staircase, Paul leans over and says, hey, you know, um, can I speak to these people? And, and uh, the guard was kind of shocked that uh, he spoke their language and, and said, yeah, sure. And, and he, he spoke to a captive audience there in the temple and they heard him. He tells history. He tells his testimony and they're interested in this. And well, maybe we've misunderstood or maybe we've given him a bad rap and they're listening to him up until this point when Paul says that Jesus said to him I'm gonna send you from Jerusalem out to the Gentiles and that was the straw that broke the camel's back (laughs) that was when it says verse 22 of Acts 22 they listened to him and tell this word Gentile right And it says that they raised their voices and said, Away with such a fellow from the earth, for he's not fit to even live. And so that began this imprisonment process of being um, a threat on his life from the Jews. He's transported to Caesarea. He goes under various trials before Festus and Felix and Agrippa uh, until he's sent to Rome and he's imprisoned in Rome. Uh, And then eventually history tells us he's let loose only to be imprisoned later on. But 
he says that all that imprisonment was because of the ministry that he had to you Gentiles. Uh, that's why I'm in jail right now. Uh, Spurgeon writes, Paul thought very lovingly of his Gentile congregation. He counted it a great grace that he was permitted to preach among the Gentiles. Peter had a much more respectable sphere, for he was the apostle of the circumcision and preached to the ancient aristocratic race of the Hebrews. But Paul was sent to preach to the Gentile dogs who were despised by the Jews as uncircumcised and unclean. Jesus said himself, uh, Jesus Christ himself gave the Gentiles a sad character for when speaking of worldly things, he says, after all of these things do the Gentiles seek as if they were utterly gross and carnal and entirely besotted with graveling pursuits. Paul, however, rejoiced to preach to these, quote, worldly-minded Gentiles. He was glad to bring the outcasts to Jesus. They were such an ignorant crew, these Gentiles, ignorant of the true God and eternal life. And so Paul ended up loving this ministry to the Gentiles, even though it took him a while to really appreciate it. And so he's in prison. He's a prisoner of Jesus. He is imprisoned for the Gentiles. And by the way, I'm very thankful for that ministry that he had because there's a whole lot of Gentile going on here. All right. I got like everything in me, including, you know, Irishman and Omaha Indian. And, you know, there's a little bit of fire water between those two tribes that uh, might have pushed me farther away and so i'm just thankful for his pursuit of this gentile hopefully you guys feel the same way um but he recognized god's doing in the imprisonment andrew murray wrote i am here by god's appointment in his keeping under his training for his time and paul understood that in fact if you've got your bibles flip over to philippians 1 uh, it's the next uh, book there in your Bible. And you got to love this as you read uh, Philippians. In fact, one theme that's been given for Philippians is Paul's joy in chains. That he had joy in the midst of persecution. Uh, and he writes, Philippians 1.12, But I want you to know, brethren, that the things which have happened to me have actually turned out for the furtherance of the gospel so that it's become evident to the whole palace guard and to all the rest that my chains are in Christ. And most of the brethren in the Lord, having become confident by my chains, are much more bold to speak the word without fear. I'd encourage you to look at your current trial through the same lens. What is the Lord doing in this time of sickness, treachery, pain, uh, hardship, you know, whatever it might be, even persecution, and to let the Lord kind of flip that little lens down in front of your eyes to see what he is doing. Are other people encouraged by this? Are other people seeing you suffer well and putting your trust in a faithful creator, as Peter says? Uh, these guys in Philippi, or rather in Rome, did. Even the palace guard knew that there was something peculiar about his suffering. And they knew that they were chains that were in Christ. 
Um, and then other Christians, seeing him suffer that way, were motivated to, in this case, preach the gospel. Maybe in your case, they'll see your suffering and you suffering well. Uh, and they'll see, you, you know, you going and battling that illness, the cancer, the, you know, uh, you know, dealing with an X or something along the, you know, however it might be. And they are able to learn from you how to suffer with a trust in the Lord's ways. And gosh, only our God is able to use sufferings for our good and for his glory. That's something that is, that is reserved for Yahweh. Um, Martin Luther, when he was imprisoned, the Lord used that imprisonment time to bring about a translation of the Holy Scriptures into German. It's a translation that is still used to this day. Um, as you study Paul, or rally, Paul Bunyan, you know, and his blue, ac, blue, blue ox and his axe, you know, and going around. Okay, wrong Bunyan. Uh, but John Bunyan, incredible testimony. Uh, incredible testimony. In fact, if you ever get a chance to listen to Piper's biography series at DesiringGod.org, um, man, the, the history uh, of so many of our fathers in the faith and Bunyan is, is an incredible story on that website. And he was imprisoned for the majority of his Christian life. Uh, there were 12 years that he spent at one time in what was called Bedford County uh, Gale. And I don't know if that's a play on jail or what, but G-A-O-L. And, uh, and that led to the writing, while he was in prison, of Pilgrim's Progress, which is uh, the, besides the scriptures, most publicized book in the English language that uh, is, a, is a picture of the gospel. And so the Lord uses these times of trial and tribulation to uh, advance his cause and to refine us, purify his church, and bring him much glory. Wow, that was verse 1. Okie dokie then. Uh, we're, we're only going through verse 13, but uh, verse 2. If indeed you've heard of the dispensation of the grace of God, which was given to me for you, so I'm a prisoner of Jesus for you if you're a part of what I've been doing here. If you've heard of the stewardship or the task that I've been given in the same way that a, a manager of a household has his duties, I've been given a duty, I've been appointed to this for you, teaching the grace of God, um, rather the grace of God given to me for you. It's a gift from the Lord, this stewardship. Many times in the New Testament, we read of, um, of Paul's commission by the Lord to go to the Gentiles. In fact, when Jesus told Ananias uh, to go to um, uh, receive Saul of Tarsus, recently converted, he said, hurry up and go, for he's a chosen vessel of mine to bear my name before Gentiles. We remember when Acts 13, Paul and Barnabas uh, we're fasting and praying, and the Lord said, um, separate these men for the work of the ministry that I've given them to go out uh, to the Gentiles and to preach the gospel. Um, in our own chapter, down in verse 8, Ephesians 3, 8, he says, a grace was given to me that I should preach among the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ. Now, that is a big part of this section of the chapter. That's a big part of what we're going to be reading here tonight. 
is this stewardship, uh, this grace that was given, a ministry that was given for Paul to be taking the good news of the gospel uh, out to the Gentiles. And, and as the Ephesians are reading this, uh, they're aware of that call on Paul's life to come to them. He goes on to say how that, verse 3, by revelation he made known to me the mystery as I've already briefly written. And so back in chapter 1, verse 17, uh, he, he writes of this uh, mystery a little bit. In Acts 22 and 26, uh, we read of these revelations that are given to Paul uh, for the stewardship of this mystery. Uh, in Acts twenty-two seventeen, it says that I was praying in the temple and I was in a trance. So that's part of how this revelation came to uh, Paul as he went into a trance. And in Revelation twenty-two twenty-one, 21, um, he says, depart from here, I'll send you to the Gentiles. In Acts 26, why don't you just flip there. Acts twenty six fifteen. <clears throat> this vision, and it's telling his testimony, he's telling of this vision. Who are you, Lord? And he said, I'm Jesus whom you are persecuting, but rise and stand on your feet, for I have appeared to you for this purpose. So there's an appearing, there's a revelation to make you a minister and a witness, both of the things which you've seen and which I will yet reveal to you. So this is what Paul's talking about in Ephesians chapter 3. The trance, the appearance from the Lord, these different commissions that he'd been given. And, um, and that verse there, 16 of Acts 26, says that you've seen things that you're going to be a minister of, and I'm going to still reveal. There's still going to be revelation to you. Uh, Acts 26, 17, I will deliver you from the Jewish people as well as from the Gentiles to who I'm sending you to open their eyes in order to turn them from darkness to light, from the power of Satan to God, that they may receive forgiveness of sins and an inheritance among those who are sanctified by faith in me. And so as he's preaching to Agrippa in verse 19, it says, therefore, King Agrippa, I was not disobedient to the heavenly vision. So our text said that it was by revelation that he'd been made known the ministry, or the, the mystery, ministry, mystery. And uh, so there is some of the revelation there, some of the, what Paul is talking about. In Galatians 1.12, if you remember the last book we went through, um, in the New Testament anyways, uh, Paul says, I didn't receive it from man, nor was I taught it, but it came through the revelation of Jesus Christ. This revelation, and since we're there and you're in Ephesians, you can just flip over two books to the right to Colossians. If you're struggling tonight, bearing with me, it helps to kind of flip and to read and it'll help you kind of follow along. Uh, Colossians 1.26, the mystery which has been hidden from ages and from generations, but now has been revealed to his saints. To them, God willed to make known what are the riches of the glory of this mystery among the Gentiles, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. And so, we've got revelation. And the revelation is of the mystery. Okay? So... 
whatever music that you'd throw into your uh, Murder, She Wrote or your, uh, you know, what's a modern day mystery show? I don't even know. Do they even have those anymore? Um, I'm thinking like Perry Mason or something that was on in like the late 80s. Those are law. Okay. Anywho, uh, he speaks of a mystery here. You know, and those, you know, I grew up reading the boxcar children, you know, just a book of these orphan kids that, you know, would go around and solve these mysteries. And I loved the comic book Tintin, you know, the dude with hair similar to mine and his white dog. And um, as I was cleaning off my bookshelf, uh, kind of fun because you find books on there you're like who put this here <laughs> you know and uh there was a a 1950s book that was roy rogers and the ghost of mystery rancho and so i'm like i'm gonna have to read this later this looks pretty good so um i'm gonna be spending time with my own mystery a little bit later but it's not the same type of mystery that Paul's speaking of. It's different than how we understand it in our English language. Uh, the mystery of the New Testament that most often is, is what is referred to is a truth that is hidden from human knowledge and human understanding, but is disclosed to humans by a revelation from God. One man put it, it is truth arrived not by investigation, nor by speculation, but by revelation. Um, once we had, uh, once Paul rather had received this revelation from God, he knew that he was under an obligation to make it known. Um, and and one man said, "With the revelation comes a commission." Uh, and the Lord had done just that, as we've read multiple times already. But it's interesting that as we think of this revelation, this is the kind of stuff that is no longer happening today. Okay, this type of revelation, and it's not that the Lord doesn't give dreams and visions and speak things to our heart, but we're speaking about a revelation that is of apostolic authority. It's of a prophetic nature that was in the process of, bear with me, inspiration, okay, and inscripturation, okay? And so as Paul was an apostle chosen by the Lord, he along with Peter and Luke uh, and John and James, these apostles uh, <clears throat> would write down in their own words as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. And as we get into doing equip again in the early part of next year, as we're looking at doing that, we'll be teaching you guys about the inspiration and inerrancy of the scriptures. Um, but something that we see is um, even Peter, <clears throat> in 2 Peter 3.15, he refers to Paul, he says, our beloved brother Paul, according to wisdom that was given to him, he has written to you, these epistles speaking of these things, and some of them are hard to understand. So if you ever read Paul, and he's got those long run-on sentences, you know, and you're like, what? You know, uh, don't worry, even Peter, who I'm probably more like Peter than I am like Paul, was like, uh, I'm going to have to reread that long run-on sentence, you know, and try to figure it out. He says they're hard to understand which untaught and unstable people twist to their own destruction as they also do, listen, 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 
the rest of the scriptures. Okay, so in that special word from Peter, he includes Paul the Apostle's epistles into the same canon, or he rather recognizes Paul's epistles as canonical, okay, as scripture. Paul's epistles to the Ephesians, writing about the mystery, things that are revealed, they are on the same level as the law of Moses, the writings of history, the poets of poetry of David. Paul's epistles are right there. He was given revelation as an apostle, and it is scripture, okay? Um, and so that's all included in this mystery is, is Paul is making it known and he wrote briefly of that mystery already in chapter 1, verses 9 and 10. Okay, we got to make some progress here. You guys are doing really good, by the way. I know it's like dark out. It's kind of tiring. You know, I mean, ah, talking about inscripturation and canonical canonization and blah, 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 blah. I don't even know what I'm talking about. So, <laughs> verse 4, by which when you read, you may understand my knowledge in the mystery of Christ which is in other ages which in other ages was not made known to the sons of men as it has now been revealed by the spirit to his holy apostles and prophets so he writes of this mystery not understood in the past in that old testament era not even really fully understood in the time of Jesus but is now being revealed. This mystery is being understood in the book of Acts time. In chapters 10 and 11 and 12 and 13 and 14 of the book of Acts. They're beginning to understand what this mystery was. Remember I told you that mystery is a bit different than how we get it. One man once said, mystery here is Old Testament concealed, but New Testament revealed. In English, the mystery is something dark and obscure and secret and puzzling. Uh, it's something that's inexplicable and incomprehensible. Um, but what we have here is it's closely guarded but more open now. Uh, the Greek word refers here to a truth into which someone can be initiate, initiated. Uh, here's what John Stott wrote. In Christianity, there are no esoteric mysteries reserved for a spiritual elite. On the contrary, the Christian mysteries are truths which, although beyond human discovery, have been revealed by God and now belong openly to the whole church. To put it simply, it's a truth that up to this point had been hidden from human knowledge or understanding but now is disclosed by the revelation of God. Okay? It is a mystery, verse 5 says, or rather it's verse 4, it's a mystery of Jesus. Jesus is the substance of this mystery, and Jesus is the source of this mystery. Jesus himself even said in Matthew 13, 17, that many prophets and righteous men desired to see what you see and did not see it. They desired to hear what you hear, and they did not hear it. But 
But now, there's a turning of the tide. There's a turning of the times. The Spirit is speaking. God has shown Paul. God has shown Peter. As he's there on the rooftop of Simon the Tanner and the sheet comes down with all the animals and then the door rings and here's the guy and the Lord had prepared the way. And the Lord by the same token is over there speaking to Cornelius about what is going on. And later on they're able to rejoice that God has opened the door to the Gentiles. Titus is told that God promised these things before time began and in due time manifested his word through preaching that had been committed to Paul. Now, what is the mystery that we're speaking of here? You know, is it the mystery of election that Paul's talking about? Mystery of predestination? That's it's actually not even what Paul's referring to as the mystery here. The mystery that he is really ringing home on a pastoral level is is very clear to us in verse 6. Okay, so get ready. Here it is revealed. If you just if we keep reading our Bible, then things are often just explained to us. We just have to keep going further. It's that the Gentiles would be fellow heirs of the same body, partakers of his promise in Christ. You might underline with your pen if you've got one. Through the gospel. So here is the mystery that Paul's concerned with, that he spoke of back in chapter 1, verses 9 and 10, that he speaks of here. The mystery, it goes beyond even that God wants Gentiles to be saved. That wasn't a mystery. You know, for the Jews that were reading their Bible in the Old Testament, they would see that God wanted the Gentiles to come to be partakers of the blessing. Uh, that This was something that was promised to Abraham, that all the nations would be blessed. That, uh, that the Israelites were to be a light to the nations, not so puffed up and prideful in their calling and lineage that they ostracize Gentiles and, and uh, you know, consider them disgusting, um, but rather they were to be lights to the Gentiles. What's even more special for us who are here as Gentiles tonight, it's, it's wonderful that the Gentiles were going to be saved, but the mystery goes even farther and that the Gentiles were actually going to be fellow heirs with the Jews. They were actually going to be partakers of the promise of the Messiah. And the work of the Messiah. And the miracle of the Messiah. And the actions of the Messiah. All of this through the gospel. If you look at Romans 11, we refer to this quite often. Um, Paul talks about how uh, Israel is like a, a natural olive tree. And that in the Jews' rejection of their Messiah, uh, some of the branches of that olive tree were broken off by their rejection of the Messiah. And that in this beautiful plan of the New Testament mission, uh, Gentiles would be adopted into this family and grafted into this olive tree. And so Paul just talks in Romans 11 about how crazy it is that a wild olive tree is grafted into this natural olive tree. And I remember when my uh, aunt Pam had cancer, she had leukemia. My mom was her bone marrow donor for the, the treatment. And as a thank you, my uncle Ron bought my mother a fruit salad tree, which is essentially like six different types of fruit trees grafted into one and would yield all of these different types of fruit. 
Only time I grafted on a tree was when I hit a tree at Calvary Corvallis with an excavator bucket, and I took a piece of twine and twined the bark back on to see if that would, like, I'm like, it's biblical. We'll try to get this to grow back on here. It didn't happen. But, okay, so anyways, uh, but how beautiful it is uh, that, that we are grafted in. And by the way, then Paul goes into, so don't be prideful about that, because if God broke them off to graft you, you know, uh, you could also be broken off if you are getting uh, haughty about this. He says, rather, fear in this good news. Uh, but it's through Christ, it's in Christ that this grafting happens, that we're partakers of the promise. It's in Christ through the gospel. These are key phrases uh, that man can't try to elevate themselves to their position by their own merit, um, but that it's, it's through the gospel. It's in Christ Jesus. Um, verse 6 here shows us that Paul equates the mystery with the gospel. Verse 7, the gospel of which I became a minister according to the gift of the grace of God given to me by the effective working of his power. And so he says, I'm I'm a minister. I've been given this ministry by the grace of God, by the gift of God. He calls it a stewardship. And you know, this is, as Spurgeon says, God's making of the man. A true minister is of God's making. A man-made minister, Spurgeon says, must be a poor creature. But a God-made minister will prove his calling. You know, and how sad it is and, and how wrong it is to see men that go into the ministry you know, because their, their business didn't work out for them. And you know, I might as well try my hand at, at pastoral ministry or something. These are, these are ministries that are callings of God on a man. And, uh, and there are things that you know, the, the man who's been called would have been just fine continuing on in any other form of life that the Lord called him to. And sometimes feel like they'd prefer another calling in life. And yet then they see this is God's doing. And, uh, and there's a great assurance and comfort in the calling of the Lord. And that's why when we look to uh, appoint men to the ministry of elder or pastor, we look for guys that are just naturally walking in just a calling of God on their life. And we really just recognize that um, in them. We see that this uh, was according to the effective working of his power. The word effective is the Greek word energia. It was according to the energy of God that he did this. The energia dynamis, the supernatural power and ability. All throughout the book of Ephesians, Paul is continually referring to the exceeding greatness of his power toward us who believe. And that's included to those that are called uh, to be ministers of the gospel. And by the way, every one of us is called to be ministers of the gospel, just in different ways. We'll get there in Ephesians chapter 4. Verse 8, continuing, we see the purpose of the ministry. To me, Paul says, one man read it with a question mark after that word, to me. To me? To me, who am least than the least of, less than the least of all the saints, this grace was given that I should preach among the Gentiles, the unsearchable riches of Christ. I'm the least of all the saints. It could be translated, I'm the meanest member of all of the holy people. It's a very striking expression here. The least or the smallest. 
he, uh, I think it was Stott who thought that maybe this was a play on Paul's word because Roman in Roman, Paul is Latin for little or small. And so he's kind of playing on, I'm Paulus, the, little, the littlest little one of all of the saints. He says this many times in the epistles. 1 Corinthians 15, I'm the least of the apostles. I'm not even worthy to be called an apostle because I persecuted the church of God. What's interesting is there he said, I'm the least of the apostles. Here in Ephesians, he says, I'm the least of all the saints. That can be encouraging uh, to us. And, uh, and yet we also see, wow, what a man he was, and he considered himself the least. That's humility, guys. Flip over with me, will you, to 1 Timothy chapter 1, verse 12. This was the prayer that uh, Blaine and David and I started uh, training last night. We were at the football field and climbing the stairs, and we just had to pray before we got, got climbing training. Uh, and this was the prayer that was prayed last night. I thank Christ, 1 Timothy 1.12, and I thank Christ Jesus our Lord who has enabled me because he counted me faithful putting me into the ministry. Although I was a formerly a blasphemer, a persecutor, and an insolent man, but I obtained mercy because I did it ignorantly and in unbelief. And the grace of our Lord was exceedingly abundant with faith and love that are in Christ Jesus. This is a faithful saying worthy of all acceptance that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners of whom I am the chief. However, for this reason I obtained mercy that in me first, Jesus Christ might show all long-suffering as a pattern to those who are going to believe in him for everlasting life. So you have encompassed in that section of scripture um, this enabling work of God, God counting someone faithful, putting them into the ministry, and also the humble statement of, man, here's why I consider myself the least of all the saints and least of all the apostles, because I persecuted the church of God. And God used me as a pattern that if he could save me, he can save anybody. That's encouraging as we pray for our, our family and friends. And here as he's minimizing himself, he's magnifying his office here to the Gentiles. This ministry that he had to preach, look at the end of verse 8, preach among the Gentiles, we're back in Ephesians 3.8, preaching among the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ. This word unsearchable is incredible. Translators and commentators compete with one another to find a dynamic equivalent in English. That means we want to get this one spot on. Uh, it could mean the inscrutable riches, the fathomless riches. Think of a ship, you know, as they're searching out the bottom of the ocean and there how many fathoms you know um it's impossible to understand it can't be tracked out uh inexplorable untraceable uh inexhaustible illimitable inscrutinable incalculable are the riches of christ maybe meditate on that tonight as you go to bed and lay your head on your pillow those are the riches of christ available to those who believe Riches of Christ in the Greek, plutos Christos, meaning the wealth of the Messiah. Think of the psalmist in 3119. Oh, how great is your goodness, which you've laid up for those who fear you. 
As Paul said it in Romans 11, oh, the depths and riches, both of the wisdom and knowledge of God. How unsearchable are his judgments and his ways past finding out. Look at verse 9. And to make all see what is the fellowship of the mystery, which from the beginning of the ages has been hidden in God and created uh, in God, who created all things through Christ Jesus. So with revelation came a commission. He was given the revelation of that the Jews and the Gentiles would be fellow heirs together of the gospel, of the riches of the Messiah, the Plutos Christos. And then with that revelation came the commission that all would see. Man, if you've got your pen or if you're a highlighter or if you circle, man, I want all to see this. I've been given a stewardship that all would see. What is the fellowship of this mystery? It was from the beginning of the ages, hidden in God, who created all things in Christ Jesus. He wants all men to be photizo in the Greek, to be enlightened and shined upon, to make known. Enlightened. You know, you can hear the, the Greeks, you can hear the Europeans saying to Paul, enlighten me. It's kind of a phrase, I looked it up in the Urban Dictionary. Ask someone to explain what they're saying This is often used as an insult, implying that the person is stupid or lying. Well, why don't you enlighten me? And so Paul would go and he would enlighten them. He would preach it from the housetops, just like Jesus said. Whatever I tell you in the dark, speak in the light. What you hear in the ear, preach on the rooftops. Preach to all the creatures the fellowship of the mystery. It was from the beginning. We looked at that all through the ages. But notice... Just real quick, we don't have time to really get into it. We, we teach on this regularly. Um, but that God created all things through Jesus Christ. Just for your reference, Isaiah 40, or, uh, uh, Colossians 1, 16 through 68, John chapter 1, John, uh, verses 1 through 3, John 1, 14. Uh, these are just scriptures, Hebrews chapters, uh, chapter 1, chapter 2. All scriptures dealing with the deity of Jesus and the fact that he created the heavens and for himself speaks to his deity. Verse 10, to the intent that now the manifold wisdom of God might be made known by the church to the principalities and powers in the heavenly places. All of this, this commission telling the world about the revelation of God is with an intent or an order that this, this the incredible manifold speaks of multicolored wisdom of God would be made known by the church, so that's us, to principalities and powers in heavenly places. Isn't that interesting that Paul's telling, telling us that he, God had a plan in his wisdom that even angels would see God's great plan of salvation and redemption and they would be blown away by it for the sake of time we just want to look at first peter 1 10 and if you could flip over there will you flip there with me one of the last things i'll have you flip to tonight first peter 1 10 of this salvation The prophets have inquired and searched carefully. 
who prophesied of the grace that would come to you, searching what or what manner of time the Spirit of Christ who was in them was indicating when he testified beforehand the sufferings of Christ and the glories that would follow. To them it was revealed that not to themselves, but to us, they were ministering the things which now have been reported to you through those who've preached the gospel to you by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven, things which angels desire to look into. And so, as Ephesians says, this gospel to all the nations, all the peoples, that they would be enlightened is to show the manifold wisdom of God and his great plan of redemption to all the principalities and powers, rulers or authorities in heavenly places. And then we see that this is something angels want to look into. Isn't that crazy? We are living out, you know, we go home, we turn on the TV, and we're interested in whatever the TV can show us. The angels flip on our story. <laughs> the angels are watching like Dateline or Nightline world story, you know, or whatever. And they're watching God creating man in his image, man with a, with a heavy hand and shrugged soldiers and a, you know, just pushing away that God living in complete rebellion, debauchery, but this God pursuing with a, with a forethought that just causes our hearts to leap. It was his plan to bring glory to himself through the death of his son as a sacrifice, as he sets up all these sacrificial systems, all the temple, all the ordinances, all the bulls and goats and doves and everything else that would have its blood shed. All of this, the angels are seeing, all of that is pointing towards the death of this God that we know. And he's going to die for the sins of the world. And he's going to rise from the dead and he's going to ascend in glory. He's going to have completed the plan of God. Hoffman writes, Angels do not any more than ourselves possess an intuitive knowledge of redemption. To look into, in Greek, is literally to bend over so as to look deeply into and see the bottom of a thing. As the cherubim stand behind the mercy seat, the emblem of redemption in the holiest place, so the angels intently gaze upon and desire to fathom the depths of the great mystery of godliness, God manifested in the flesh, justified in the spirit, seen of the angels. Their ministry to the heirs of salvation naturally disposes them to wish to penetrate this mystery as reflecting such glory on the love, justice, wisdom, and power of their and our God and Lord. They can know it only through its manifestation in the church as they personally have not the direct share in it that we have. Angels have only the contrast between good and evil without the power of conversion from sin to righteousness. Witnessing such conversion in the church, they long to penetrate the knowledge of the means whereby it is brought about. I know that was a lot. But God is glorified by the angels in his plan of redemption for men. So much so that when we be, read the book of Revelation, we see saints and angels worship when they see the lamb that was slain before the foundation of the world. Just one more quote from Spurgeon about this angels desiring to look into this mystery 
along the aisles of the church, along the ages of its dispensations, stand the various trophies of divine grace and love. I see a lot of trophies here tonight. Okay, so just picture, we're going through the, the, uh, the aisles of the church, and there's these trophies of divine grace and love. The jewel cases of virtues and graces which adorn the believer. The mementos of triumphs gotten over sin and hardness of heart and of victories achieved over temptation and trial. And as the spirits walk along the corridors full of divine workmanship, they stand, they gaze, they admire and wonder and speed back their way to heaven and sing more loudly than before, hallelujahs to the God whose manifold wisdom they've beheld in the church of God below. They have some lessons of heavenly science to study, which creation cannot unfold to their view, to be ascertained and certified by them only through the transcendent work of redemption, which the Lord has carried on in his church. Herein is manifold wisdom, that the Lord God should make so strange a creature, that he should be formed of the dust of the ground, and yet created in the image of God, a creature that should know sin, and whatever of pleasure there might be in it and yet be restored to purity and holiness. A creature who, though a while estranged in heart and guilty of rebelling with a high hand against his creator, should return to its allegiance through the infinitely wise working of God's spirit, and from now on should remain forever in the liege servant of God. Angels, Michael, Gabriel, these guys desire to look into as they walk through the trophies of God's grace. Look at verse 11 of our text, and we'll wrap up going through very quickly. In fact, just to prove it, um, Cheryl, would you mind going and dismissing the children from the children's ministry? Sometimes i got to put my money where my mouth is, you know what I'm saying? All of this, verse 11, is according to the eternal purposes, which he's accomplished in Christ Jesus our Lord. I was going to bring the Jesus Storybook Bible with me tonight, this kid Bible, because the first chapter when Gen- uh, in Genesis, when Adam and Eve fall, it has this wonderful paragraph about uh, God's long, and this is a direct translation of the Greek here, this eternal purposes, long ago forever plan. And that's kind of the language used in the Storybook Bible, this long ago forever plan accomplished in Jesus, performed in Jesus. In the Greek, it's literally did in Jesus. <laughs> you know, that's how we talk in Primeville, right? It got did. Did in Jesus. One person's awake tonight. Okay. Verse 12. In whom we have boldness and access with confidence through faith in him. Confident. Two times, really, in the Greek, it's confident confidence. Boldness and access. If you've ever been backstage at a concert or been given a private tour, which most people don't benefit uh, I went to Israel one time, and in my three trips, there's been such hostilities on the Temple Mount that there was no way a Gentile could ever go on the Temple Mount where the Dome of the Rock sits. And one time, uh, our tour guide worked it out to where we could go and stand at the Dome of the Rock where the Temple sat. And uh, it was like a special you know, backstage pass to be there. And, uh, and you're benefiting where other people normally don't get to. And uh, our guide has says to come on in and to enjoy. And, uh, and that's kind of the picture here is that we have this special access to see a monarch or a king 
that normally people aren't allowed. But notice it's through faith in him. Not just anybody gets to go into this special place. It's those who have their faith in Jesus. Verse 13, therefore I ask that you do not lose heart at my tribulations for you, which is your glory. Now remember in verse 1, Paul said that I am a prisoner of Jesus. So really, he's in prison of Jesus, not of Nero. Secondly, he's not in prison for preaching the gospel so much as he is the ministry to the Gentiles. And so here he says, don't lose heart at my imprisonment, my tribulation, tribulation that is for you. And in that, it's your glory. We're going to close just by reading. This is such a deep chapter and there's so much to it. Why don't we stand together and Ron, you can grab your, your harp. And I want to read a paraphrase of this chapter to you as the kids are coming in. This is the Living Bible translated by Kenneth Taylor. And maybe you just need to, to listen, maybe close your eyes. I, Paul, the servant of Christ, am here in jail because of you for preaching that you Gentiles are a part of God's house. No doubt you already know that God's given me this special work of showing God's favor to you Gentiles, as I briefly mentioned before in one of my letters. God himself showed me this secret plan of his, that the Gentiles too are included in his kindness. I say this to explain to you how I know about these things. In olden times, God did not share this plan with his people, but now he's revealed it by the Holy Spirit to his apostles and prophets. And this is the secret, that the Gentiles will have their full share with the Jews in all the riches inherited by God's sons. Both are invited to belong to his church, and all of God's promises of mighty blessings through Christ apply to them both when they accept the good news about Christ and what he has done for them. God has given me the wonderful privilege of telling everyone about this plan of his, and he's given me his power and special ability to do it as well. Just think, though I did nothing to deserve it, and though I'm the most useless Christian there is, yet I was the one chosen for the special joy of telling the Gentiles the glad news of the endless treasures available to them in Christ, and to explain to everyone that God is the Savior of the Gentiles too, just as he who made all things had secretly planned from the very beginning. And, this, and his reason? to show all the rulers in heaven how perfectly wise he is when all of his family, Jews and Gentiles alike, are seen to be joined together in his church in just the way he'd always planned it through Jesus Christ our Lord. Now we can come fearlessly right into God's presence, assured of his glad welcome when we come with Christ and trust in him. So please don't lose heart at what they're doing to me here. It is for you I'm suffering, and you should feel honored and encouraged. When I think of the wisdom and scope of his plan, I fall down on my knees and pray to the Father of all the great family of God, some of them already in heaven and some down here on earth, that out of his glorious unlimited resources, he will give you the mighty inner strengthening of his Holy Spirit. And I pray that God, that Christ, will be more and more at home in your hearts, living within you as you trust in him. May your roots go down deep into the soil of God's marvelous love. And may you be able to feel and understand as all God's children should, how long, how wide, how deep, and how high is his love really is, and to experience this love for yourselves, though it is so great that you will never see the end of it or fully know or understand it, and so at last you will be filled up with God himself. Now glory be to God, who by his mighty power at work within us 
is able to do far more than we would ever dare to ask or even dream of, infinitely beyond our highest prayers, desires, thoughts, or hopes. May he be given glory forever and ever through endless ages because of his master plan of salvation for the church through Jesus Christ. Go ahead, Ron, close us in song.